1: Good afternoon. My name is Buena, and I will be your conference operator today. I would like to welcome everyone to the Aptos Biosciences Conference Call for a third quarter ended September 30, 2021. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw a question, press the pound key. Thank you. As a reminder, this conference call may be recorded. I would like to introduce Ms. Susan Paolo.
2: Please go ahead. Thank you, Buena. Good afternoon and welcome to the Aptos Biosciences Conference Call to discuss financial and operational results for the third quarter into September 30, 2021. Joining me on today's call are Dr. William G. Rice, Chairman, President, and CEO, Dr. Yodi Morongo, Senior Vice President, Chief Financial Officer, and Chief Business Officer, and Dr. Rafael Behar, Senior Vice President, Chief Medical Officer. Before we proceed, I would like to remind everyone that certain statements made during this call will include forward-looking statements within the meaning of U.S. and Canadian securities laws. Forward-looking statements reflect Aptos's current expectations regarding future events but are not guarantees of performance, and it is possible that actual results and performance could differ materially from these stated expectations. They involve known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that may cause actual results, performance, and achievement to differ materially from those expressed. To learn more about these risks and uncertainties, please read the risk factors set forth in Aptos' most recent annual report on Form 10-K and SEC and CEDAR filings. All forward-looking statements made during this call speak only as of the date they are made. Aptos undertakes no obligation to revise or update the statements to reflect events or circumstances after the date of this call, except as required by law. I will now turn the call over to Dr. Rice, Chairman, President, and CEO of Aptos Biosciences. Dr. Rice?
3: Thank you, Susan. I'd like to welcome everyone to our call for the third quarter ended September 30th, 2021. Today, I want to spotlight the actions we've taken during the past quarter and over the entire year to build value in Aptos, a company focused on the effective treatment of hematologic malignancies and a company with expertise in kinase inhibitors and with an expanded team to develop them. This includes a look at our newest program, HM43239, or just 239 an oral once-daily myeloid kinome inhibitor that already has delivered multiple complete responses in a broad spectrum of AML patients, and for which, just last week, we announced an exclusive global license agreement with the Hanmi Pharmaceutical Company. We also will provide an update on Lutseptanib, or just LUX, our oral highly potent non-covalent kinase inhibitor with dual activity as a myeloid kinome inhibitor and a lymphoid kinome inhibitor. And we will address what this latest transaction with 239 means for LUX. From an investment and catalyst thesis, 239 added a more advanced de-risk asset with proven clinical activity to our portfolio, a molecule that dramatically increases the probability of success for our therapeutic pipeline. And we believe this deal increases significantly the overall value of Aptos by any rational measure. 239 is not a sudden revelation to us. As a matter of course, in our proactive business development efforts and our heme focus, we continue to evaluate many compounds, even molecules at very early stages, as evidenced by our agreement with Genomics for LUX. We developed a relationship with the HONMI team some time ago, and all the while we've been watching 239 and moving toward a partnership as the clinical validation data began to emerge over the past 12 months. Indeed, 239 entered the clinic for the treatment of AML patients a year earlier than did our other kinase inhibitor LUX. And in that time, 239 has achieved multiple complete responses, or CRs, with a favorable safety profile. This is an effective and well-tolerated drug that already has changed the lives of critically ill AML patients harboring adverse mutation profiles that render them non-responsive to other drugs. So 239 fits exactly into the type of agent that defines our goals at Aptos. The timing of this deal was driven by the emerging clinical data with 239, as was illustrated in the ASH abstract released last week, and the emerging competitiveness for this program. And I want to recognize Dr. Morongo for orchestrating and negotiating the deal. We're thrilled to take the reins for the development of this clinically proven agent as an addition to our evolving pipeline, and to move it rapidly through the next steps of development. As a complementary addition to LUX, 239 strengthens Aptos' ability to treat a wider spectrum of AML patients. So how does this deal for 239 impact LUX? To be clear, 239 is an addition to our pipeline. It is not a replacement for LUX. LUX stands on its own merits and we intend to develop LUX to its full capacity. LUX is being tested in relapsed or refractory AML patients where it already has achieved a complete response and in highly relapsed or refractory B-cell malignancy patients where we have begun to see consistent signs of anti-tumor activity. Some of you bluntly have asked, if we believe that LUX will be active in AML patients, then why did we in license 239? The short answer is we want to own this therapeutic space, and adding 239 to our pipeline along with LUX is an important step toward that vision. The longer answer is, it's because AML represents a collection of many forms of acute leukemias, and not one single disease. Because AML is so mutationally diverse, no one agent can fully cover the range of all oncogenic drivers in all AML patients. And we're focused on treating the patients rather than merely treating a target. As we've said in the past, there's room for many agents in the treatment of AML. While some consider AML a disease driven by the FLT3 kinase, FLT3 is only one of the targets that you might want to cover in the disease. AML patients may have internal tandem duplication, tyrosine kinase domain, or gatekeeper gatekeeper mutations in FLT3, or no mutations at all in FLT3, or mutations in a multitude of other genes, including NPM1, TP53, IDH2, RAS, and many others and each mutation or epigenetic alteration can program the cells to behave in a different manner. It therefore is essential to cover as many targets, albeit as safely as possible, and disrupt as many oncogenic pathways and escape routes as possible. Simply, not all genotypes of AML will be effectively targeted by any single drug. This is why we want LUX that covers FLT3 and a particular constellation of kinases operative in AML And we want 239, that also covers FLIT3, but then covers a different constellation of other kinases. We plan to develop each molecule, which can lead to a broader coverage of kinases and AML patient populations than any one drug. For any AML patient to achieve a complete response with a drug, that patient's disease must have a target profile that can be subjugated by the drug, and the drug must be administered at a level that suppresses those targets. With 239, those levels already have been achieved in multiple patients reported to date with complete responses. While we already have achieved therapeutically active levels with 239, LUX is earlier in development for AML, yet we already have reported one durable complete response with LUX in an AML patient. We continue to dose escalate LUX, now at 900 milligrams with our current formulation, to drive higher exposures. To suppress additional oncogenic driver kinases and effectively treat additional patients. In parallel to those dose escalations with the current formulation, we also are developing a new formulation for LUX, referred to as Generation 3 or G3, that in animal studies can deliver 30 fold greater exposures per milligram of drug administered. The G3 capsules have been GMP manufactured, have passed stability tests and we plan to introduce G3 into our ongoing clinical studies in 2022. We hope G3 will reduce significantly the pill burden and the amount of drug substance administered to patients, and this could be a meaningful step for LUX as we advance it through the clinic. While I've spoken about LUX being administered to AML patients, I'll remind you that LUX also is a lymphoid kinome inhibitor, and we're developing it for patients with B-cell lymphoid malignancies where we continue to see anti-tumor activity and we will update you at ASH. So the progress we're observing with LUX in our ongoing clinical trials, over and above other therapies that already have failed these very difficult to treat patient populations is encouraging and we are hopeful that LUX will prove to be valuable for a diversity of hematologic cancers. Before I hand the microphone to Dr. Behar, I want to bring the focus back to my original statements. We now have expanded our pipeline we have dramatically increased our potential for pipeline success by adding 239, while also maintaining a value stream and conviction to the development of LUX. Now I'll ask Dr. Behar, our Chief Medical Officer, to provide an overview of our clinical activities. Rath?
4: Thank you, Bill. We'll start with Lixepinib, our oral highly potent mutation agnostic kinase inhibitor that selectively targets clusters of related kinases and suppresses the mutations that occur in AML and CLL cells that could render such cells resistant to other agents. Thus far, LUX has been shown to target the primary drivers of B-cell malignancies and AML, including BTK and FLT3, with a precision that avoids known targets such as TEC, EGFR, and ERB-2, which are often associated with toxicity. This selectivity is what sets LUX apart from other hematology drugs on the market or in development and what makes it compelling as a clinical agent. Let's review LUX and B-cell malignancies, including chronic lymphocytic leukemia or CLL, and non hodgkin lymphomas, or NHL, who have been failed by or are intolerant to two or more lines of established therapy. This includes drugs such as ibrutinib, rituximab, and venetoclax, or those from whom no other treatment options are available. Patients in our trial receive from 2 to 12 regimens prior to enrolling in our study. I'm pleased to report that since our last update, we have completed the 750-milligram dose cohort and are now enrolling patients in the 900-milligram dose cohort. LUX continues to be well-tolerated in patients treated with up to 750 milligrams twice daily, over multiple cycles. Of the evaluable patients at these dose levels, we have observed repeated tumor reductions across different disease types, including tumor reductions in both aggressive and indolent cancers. We will give specific data on this activity during our corporate update event during ASH in December. LUX is clearly demonstrating that it is an active drug, but like ibrutinib, it is not well absorbed. So we continue to push the dose in order to increase the exposure levels, which is key we're looking to get those exposure levels that can achieve complete eradication of tumors as we did in preclinical studies. At the same time, as Bill just mentioned, we spent a lot of time and effort on a new formulation of LUX that will be better absorbed. We're pleased with where we are with that new formulation and we'll keep you posted. Now let's turn to LUX in AML. Acute myeloid leukemia or AML is particularly difficult to treat hematologic cancer. Of all the patients in our AML trial, have been treated with and have been failed by the best currently available therapeutics, which can include FLT3 inhibitors such as gilteritinib, mitostorin, crinolinib, tazardinib, and sorafenib, as well as other therapies like minetoclax chemotherapy, and investigational drugs. So this is an extremely tough-to-treat patient population. Earlier in the year, we presented data that demonstrated blast reductions, as well as a patient who experienced a durable MRD-negative complete response. In this trial, like our B-cell trial, we are now enrolling patients at the 900-milligram dose cohort with some patients remaining on treatment at lower dose levels. Also, it's important to note that at these doses, we continue to find that LUX is generally well-tolerated, with no toxicity signals or trends to date that we believe would prevent further dose escalation or increases in exposure. This tolerability profile is critical because it is allowing us to reach the higher dose levels and should permit future use of LUX in combination with other agents. Now let's talk about our newest program, HM43239, and our clinical plans for this exciting agent. 239 is currently in a Phase 1/2 clinical trial in six centers, three in Korea and three in the U.S. In our last call, we described an impressive preclinical profile of 239, superior to gilteritinib as a single agent and when combined with the BCL2 inhibitor venetoclax or the hypomethylating agent azacitidine. This already has translated into strong anti-leukemic, anti-leukemic activity in a diverse array of AML patients, delivering multiple CRs early in a Phase 1 trial thus far, and has been well tolerated to date. In three of the four CRs reported in the ASH abstract, patients underwent a hematopoietic stem cell transplantation and remain alive. The CRs occurred in AML patients with the flt 3 ITD mutation, the flt 3 TKD mutation, and the wild type form of flt 3 as well. The AML in these patients harbored additional mutations in NPM1, TP53, NRAS, IDH2, and other important key drivers of AML. One flt 3 wild type patient with a complex karyotype and a TP53 mutation has experienced a durable CR lasting many months Another patient with a FLT3 tkd mutation who was refractory to prior treatment with mitostorin and later gilteritinib, achieved a CR and was able to undergo allergen A transplantation. To summarize, at an early dose level, 239 has shown broad activity across several major AML genotypes, representing a potentially genotype agnostic agent. A potential minimum therapeutically effective dose has already been identified. However, because of the favorable safety profile to date, we are exploring higher doses, the trial has cleared the 120-milligram dose level and recently cleared the 160-milligram dose cohort with no dose-limiting toxicities, and patients now are being enrolled in the 200-milligram dose and cohort. Based on the strong signals already seen to date, as well as new lessons from these later cohorts, we plan to move aggressively towards registration-directed development. This includes ongoing studies of 239 as a single agent in particularly difficult-to-treat patient populations, or those with genetic markers of response as well as combination studies that would allow 239 to complement existing therapies and move into earlier alignment treatment. Last week, we distributed a press release on the ASH abstracts that were accepted for presentation in December, which include an oral presentation on clinical results for hm 4 and poster presentations on LUX and B-cell malignancies and in AML, as well as a poster on HAPTO-253 or MIC repressive. Because of submission cutoff dates, the LUX abstracts in particular were largely based on previously announced data. The actual posters will contain some incremental data, and our planned corporate event will bring you up to date on our more recent data and all of our ongoing studies. We are pleased by the progress across our clinical programs and that the safety and tolerability of all our drug candidates, LUX, 239, and EFTA-253, are allowing dose escalation in all of our ongoing trials. As we treat more patients at higher doses, we are generating additional pharmacokinetic and pharmacogenetics data that we look forward to providing in further updates at the ASH meeting later this year. For more information on all of our ongoing clinical trials and clinical sites that are recruiting patients, please visit clinicaltrials.gov. I will now turn the call over to Dr. Yodi Marengo, Chief Financial Officer and Chief Business Officer, who will review financial results for the first quarter. Yodi?
5: Thanks, Raf, and good afternoon, everyone. First, a quick summary of the key terms of the licensing agreement for 239. For exclusive global rights to 239 for all indications HANMI will receive an upfront payment totaling $12.5 million, which will include $5 million in cash and the rest in Aptos shares. HANMI will also receive up to $407.5 million in future milestone payments contingent upon the achievement of certain clinical, regulatory, and sales milestones across several potential indications, as well as tiered royalties on net sales. Now, let's go over our quarterly financials. We ended the third quarter with approximately $95 million in cash, cash equivalents, and investments. During the quarter, we utilized approximately $8.1 million in operating activities, which were attributable to activities surrounding our pipeline candidates, as well as general and administrative purposes. Based on current operations, cash at hand on September 30th provides the company with sufficient resources to fund all planned company operations into early 2023. Moving on to the income statement, we had no revenues for the quarter. Research and development expenses were $7.7 million for the quarter and were attributable to clinical trial costs for our pipeline candidates Manufacturing of drug products for our clinical trials, including continuing development of improved formulations for our pipeline candidates, and personnel costs for headcounts supporting clinical trials and manufacturing activities. GNA expenses for the quarter were $3.6 million, and our net loss for the quarter was $11.3 million, or 13 cents per share. More detailed information can be found in our filings on Edgar and Cedar. I will now turn the call back over to Dr. Rice.
3: Bill? Thank you, Yodi. As we open the call for questions, please feel free to pose a question to any of us. Operator, if you could, please introduce the first question.
6: The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit Radio B-E-E-T-S dot com
0: Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
1: At this time, I would like to remind everyone that if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for this moment to compile a Q and a roster. Your first question comes from the line of Alethea Young of Cantor Fitzgerald. Your line is open.
7: Uh, hey guys. Thanks for taking my question. And, uh, Congrats on an interesting and nice deal. Um, like, a couple of questions for me. One, um, maybe, can you just talk, I mean, obviously this, the asset looks very interesting. It's that active. You know, why would Han like, want to give up the asset um, is one question, and I'm just, I'm just curious about it. It intrigues me. me. Um, the second question is, um, you know, you're, you're going to escalate, right, I think, to 200 milligrams, um, but do you think you, you know, kind of, do you think you'll see more at that or do you kind of feel like you're saturating the target? I mean, obviously it seems like you, you might be testing the hypothesis, but the data look pretty good as they, as they are. And then the third question is um, Lux. Um, I know there was the abstract, but can you characterize maybe what incremental numbers of patients or any information that we might get at Ash? Thanks.
3: Oh dear. This is Bill. Uh, so, I'm going to ask Yodi uh, to dis- uh, to describe the interaction with Han and and to give the perspective of quote why they might want to give it up, and then I'm going to ask Dr. Behar to talk about the uh, the escalation plans. Yodi.
5: Yeah, thank you, Bill, and thank you, Alicia, for for the kind words and and the question. Um, uh, perhaps you know the way that I would that I will address the question about Han since that is probably a more appropriate question to to ask them rather than us. Uh, perhaps the way that I will address it is that they're not really giving up this asset. They were seeking for a partner that would be able to create the most value. Uh, And when thinking of it that way, they recognized Aptos being such partner. So they had observed from far away the way that we licensed LUX uh, at the preclinical stage and uh, took it through multiple phase one studies. uh, And that was very reassuring in the field of kinase inhibitors. Uh, they probably observe the way that uh, we interact and take advice from some of the top leaders in the field, uh, some of whom are in our scientific advisory board, um, uh, doc, uh, physicians and, and, and scientists such as Brian Drucker, uh, who are some of the fathers of the field of kinase inhibitors. Um, and so a lot of these, we believe, have, have strengthened their comfort and their belief, their conviction in Apto's ability to uh, move this asset forward and to create the most value.
3: Thank you, Yodi. And Dr. Behar. Sure. I can address
4: that second question. You asked if we are continuing to dose escalate but have already seen signs of activity. How will we decide when we reach the uh, the appropriate dose, if I can paraphrase your question? So you're right that we already have seen signs, impressive signs of activity at early dose levels in the study, and we are continuing to dose escalate. But I'll remind you that this is not just targeting FLT3, that this drug hits multiple different targets, and even if one target is saturated, that may not be the driver for that particular patient. So we do want to continue to dose escalate to cover the broadest number of targets that we can safely, which we hope will translate into greater activity for a broader set of patients in, in the AML study, including those patients that don't necessarily have with 3 mutant disease, having shown already two responses in patients without that mutation.
7: And then, Ash, have you said with Lux, like how many more people will see at the different dosing levels?
3: Uh, we haven't given any information publicly yet. Uh, so with LUX, uh, we're continuing to dose escalate in the, the B-cell malignancy trial. Uh, we've completed the 750. We're at the 900 milligram dose level. Uh, what we have said is that uh, as patients are on drug longer uh, and at higher doses, we're beginning to see greater levels of activity. We'll present those data. Uh, also, uh, we continue to dose escalate in the AML trial. Uh, again, we've completed the 750 milligram dose level and we're, at the, uh, we're exploring the 900-milligram dose level at this time, and we'll, pro- we'll continue to accumulate the data and present the data on all the patients at a corporate event uh, that, that uh, should occur at or around the same time as ASH. Thank you, Alidia.
7: All right, and congrats on a very smart deal.
3: Thank you. We appreciate that.
1: Your next question is from the line of Gregory Renza of Capital, uh, RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open.
8: Yes, good afternoon, Bill and team. Uh, congrats on, on the progress again, and thanks for taking my questions.
1: Um, Bill,
8: uh, maybe with respect to 239, I'm um, just curious if you could comment a little bit about as Hanmi historically has of characterized uh, 239 two, uh, with respect to uh, FLT3 inhibition, you know, what what um, specifically or maybe even broadly um, would you speak to and, and your team speak to around the broader characterization? If you could just point us to or, or highlight again um, some of the preclinical work that you've seen or done or even ongoing that, that gives you confidence that it is not just that, that plain inhibitor that... Um, it leaves you and the team uh, fully, fully excited. And then uh, maybe, secondly, it's helpful well, caller
3: just, uh, yeah, go why ahead. Go why ahead. don't we tackle that one? Why don't we tackle that yeah. one then go to the second? Okay, so it's a really good question. So um, when people think about AML, very often, this is what I was saying, they think about FLIP3 as a target. So if you have a drug and it's a kinase inhibitor, they people will, will often uh, promote it as a FLIP3 inhibitor. Now, if you're going to do that, you need to inhibit all the different forms of flip 3 You need to inhibit the wild type, the ITD, tyrosine kinase domain, gatekeeper, all the different forms. But there is no absolutely selective kinase inhibitor out there. So as we look across these, we want to make sure we have a compound that, as we said, can cover flip 3 But we also look at that broader kinome that they're inhibiting. And if they're going to, if this drug is being directed toward AML, we want to make sure that they're hitting, we call it a myeloid kinome constellation of kinases. Uh, again, uh, we've talked about this one has inhibited sick, very potent inhibitor of sick. Uh, we made sure all of that was confirmed. It does inhibit FLT3. Uh, we also in, uh, mentioned that it also inhibits the mutant, but not the uh, wild type forms of C-kit. So that potentially could take it into other areas. But what I would say is, yeah, all of these kinase inhibitors will inhibit a different constellation. The most important aspect here is, in preclinical studies, when they put it in various animal models, it it outcompeted gilteritinib in a variety of different uh, animal models in which the AML cells had mutations in FLT3 or wild-type FLT3. Uh, it also worked uh, in, uh, in, collabor- in in collab uh, in combination, very well in combination with other drugs without inducing additional toxicity, uh, the hypomethylating agents, venetoclax, as well as other agents. So it was those early preclinical data and even in in, uh, AML cells that had even other mutations where drugs can't uh, work that well. And those strong preclinical data then have been translated into the clinic with humans. So what's absolutely most important is that we see those strong preclinical data and then see the data beginning to emerge as you get into the therapeutic uh, uh, levels in humans. And they've seen the broad activity in humans. So whatever that constellation of kinases is, we like it. It's the appropriate set of kinases for a broad set of AML patients. None of them will cover all AML patients, but we really like this constellation and where we're seeing the broad activity in patients. Okay, so question number two.
8: Actually, Bill, I think you have even answered my follow-up. That's super helpful, and uh, we're we're looking forward to to Ash. Thanks again.
3: Thanks so much, Greg, for being on here.
1: Your next question is from Joe Pontinius of 8C Wayne Drive. Your line is open.
4: Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, I have a logistical question and a corporate question. So first, uh, Bill, when you were discussing the uh, G3 formulation for LUX, I guess, can you describe um, the process that will be required to get it included into studies? Do you have to do a separate bridging study first, or do you think you'll just be able to uh, start dosing within the current?
3: Hi, Joe. Uh, Thanks for being on here. (laughs) Really good question. So this is Quite a different formulation. So, when we had G2, that was just uh, machine filled versus hand filled, or the original G1 formulation. And it was easy to, to just blend that into the uh, or merge it into the ongoing clinical trial. But this is a very different formulation, and it gives us much higher levels of exposure per milligram. So, the process is you must uh, understand what it's doing in various animal models. We've done that. Uh, Single dose uh, acute dose toxicity, seven day dosing, 28 day dosing. We've actually completed all the 28 day GLP tox studies in, uh, in rats and in dogs. And we don't have the reports yet, but that's been completed. So all of that needs to be done. But, uh, but what we want to do initially is try to get it into patients as soon as possible, get a quick peek at the, uh, the exposure levels. And then uh, then make a decision as to what is the appropriate dose levels for uh, multiple dosing, for continuous dosing. We will work through that with the FDA. Again, part of the process is making sure that you work appropriately with the regulatory agency, have a plan, how you're going to get it into humans, present it to them, uh, execute accordingly, and then go back to them and work through this. So uh, it's been a long process to get here. It's taken many, many months and much, much effort to identify this one very hopeful for this uh, formulation, the first one we've been willing to speak about. Okay, so that's that's the high level on G3, uh, and then you said you had a corporate question. Yes, thanks, and that was very helpful. Um, So I guess, look, obviously
4: you've had a lot of – you know, nice hires over the last, uh, you know, several months and even recently. So I guess when you look at the corporate plans for the company, you know, where do you feel you are right now? Are you right-sized at this point or, you know, do you anticipate, you know, future growth with regard to uh, certain positions and how we could link that also to potential manufacturing needs?
3: Uh, again, very good question, very insightful. So, yes, we have been expanding the company trying to bring on the 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 skill sets that would allow us that would allow us to to, to develop a multitude of molecules uh, we, uh, we, again, we want to focus in hematology, we want to focus on kinase inhibitors, and we want to have multiple drugs to move forward uh, across heme malignancies, both AML as well as the uh, the lymphoid malignancies. So just as we brought in Dr. Behar uh, to to drive us forward. Now we have uh, Vice President Regulatory, Finance, Operations, ClinOps, CMC. So all of these key areas. So right now we have um, the vast majority of key hires that we need. I'm not going to preempt any additional hires that we may want to look at into the near future. But the great part is we've been able to gradually build the team, the right people, at the right time. It's a great mix of the right people. And now we have the ability to not only execute on the luxeptinib, but also now to bring on this new molecule and make sure that we don't have any missteps there. So, yes, we'll continue to grow as appropriate. You don't want to waste money, but you want to make sure you have those skill sets at the right time. So, Yodi, did you want to add anything to that?
5: No, nothing to add. Thank you, Joe.
3: Yes, hey, thank great. you, Joe. Thanks, guys. Sure, thanks.
1: Your next question is from Matt Migler of Oppenheimer. Your line is open.
6: Hey, guys. Thanks for the um, question. Bill, you kind of touched on this a little bit in a prior question, but I, I just kind of want to ask you point blank. What, what do you think is attributing the 2 3 nine's activity in FLT3 wild-type patients? Um, that's pretty mm-hmm. impressive. And, and, and do you think, I mean, are you guys considering a mutation agnostic label at this point, or is it is it kind of... Uh, too soon to tell?
3: Uh, so I'm not going to go into every, every potential kinase that this hits or, or doesn't hit. Um, so we did mention that this drug potently inhibits the wild-type FLIT3. So in some of these patients that have, we'll call it, unmutated FLIT3, you may actually have overexpression of the wild-type FLIT3. That's sensitive to a FLIT3 inhibitor if your drug actually is potent on the wild-type. Uh, often you will also get overexpression of the ligand in the bone marrow that binds to FLT3. And so in this case, having the ability to inhibit the wild type FLT3 is very important. Uh, But also, as you look inside the cell, you're able to see a variety of pathways that are inhibited. We mentioned SICK. We're able to watch the SICK pathway be inhibited, the phospho-SICK, Downstream, you have the, the STAT pathways, the erg pathways, and a variety of these. So we've actually been, even though this, this drug we, we just uh, licensed it this past week, we've been looking at it inside the cell already to try to understand all these different pathways. And what I will tell you is every AML cell that you look at has a different set of pathways and, and, uh, and different redundancies. And you just need to hit as many of those as you can, but not hit the safety targets. And this hits enough of those, of the of the, the key ones, to have broad activity. Uh, and so we're very happy with that. Now, in terms of the label, um, again, we're very early in phase one. We're thrilled with the activity we've seen. Um, you know, we, as Dr. Behar mentioned, uh, a couple of the patients, uh, the activity, some of these were FLT3 mutated. I mentioned one that had uh, failed the other TKIs. Uh, if you've got a drug that can inhibit various uh uh, that can act on patients who have failed other TKIs, patients uh, even in wild type that have failed some of, the, excuse me, that have some of these other mutations that other drugs have not been able to uh, address. So there, we believe there are multiple paths for single agent development as well as combination. So that was long-winded, uh, but uh, Dr. Behar, did you want to add anything to that at this point?
4: No, I think you nailed it exactly. There are multiple pathways, including wild-type pathways that are operable in AML, and, and the drug that has activity against the wild-type form of FLT3 could have activity there as well as the other targets that it has.
6: Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely looking forward to seeing um, that kind of profile uh, when it's presented. Um, I just had a quick uh, housekeeping question for Yodi on the finances of the deal. Um, how are you guys planning on recognizing that $5 million uh, upfront as part of it, Should, would that be as a, a bulk next quarter, or is it going to be spread out? Thanks.
5: Yeah, thank you, Matt, for the question. So uh, we reported, and just to to, to give you a, a larger frame here, we reported our cash balance today was $95 million as of September 30th. That does not include the cash component of the upfront payment to Hanmi, which was $5 million. Uh, That amount will be paid within this calendar year. Uh, as you will also find in the full license agreement that is uh, filed on, uh, uh, on Edgar. Thank you.
3: Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank Matt.
1: Your next question is from John Newman of Cancord. Your line is open.
9: Hi, guys. Thanks for the question, and um, congrats on an interesting deal here, certainly. I'm Thanks, just John. curious in terms of Going forward with uh, I guess the current study as well as dose escalation, um, it looks like in the ASH abstract, there were a couple patients that um, received a stem cell transplant after a CR, which is you know happens in AML that's not uncommon. Um, just curious in terms of the way that you would like to conduct the study at um, some of the higher doses, if you would look to um, sort of establish a framework where doctors would be encouraged to put patients in a stem cell transplant if they achieve CR or um, if, if they wouldn't or if you
3: would just leave it up to them. Just kind of curious as to how you're looking at that. All right. Thanks, John. Uh, appreciate you coming on. So I'm going to give just a very broad statement and then I'm going to ask Dr. Behar to jump in. Uh, the good news is we have seen very broad activity in AML patients with this drug And it's actually great news that they can then be taken with CRs over to transplantation. And from what we understand, those patients remain alive. Um, So that's great news. Uh, People will ask about durability of your drug. We actually have one patient uh, who was on there for a long time uh, as, a, a, that did not go to a stem cell transplant, and I believe that was also in the abstract. Uh, we're not going to speak beyond what's in the abstract now because, uh, the global PI is going to be presenting the, uh, all the information at Ash in a oral presentation, but I am going to ask Dr. Behar to st- step in on this and talk about the current study and dose escalation.
4: Yeah, thanks, Bill. Uh, you're exactly right. I think when we have an AML study in a relapsed refractory population, if you have the ability to, to put that person into remission and take them to transplant, from a clinical perspective, that's an absolute win. Uh, I know I understand it doesn't uh, help you understand the durability of the drug, but uh, the, the patient comes first. That said, not all, all patients will be candidates for allogeneic transplant. Some will have been transplanted earlier. Some will just simply not be good candidates for other reasons, and those patients would, would stay on drug until either they progressed or, or hit some other event. So... It, the, the data we've seen so far have been incredibly encouraging. That In the abstract, noting that three out of the, the five CRs had moved on to transplant, and the patient who didn't, as Bill mentioned, had a very durable response, lasting uh, many months, much longer than, than the median you might expect, especially given their genotype, which uh, was one that you would expect to relapse relatively early. So we will not be mandating, uh, one way or the other, whether a patient should be considered or shouldn't be considered for uh, allogeneic transplant. That will be at the discretion of the investigators. Uh, Of course, we would be happy if the patient were able to move on to a potential curative therapy after our drug.
3: So it gets to the point we talked about earlier. We want to treat the full patient. If we can get them to a transplant and that's the best thing for them, we consider that a win. Okay. All right. And what's going to uh, encourage uh, physicians to put patients on here? CRs. The responses will encourage the, the physicians to continue to put patients on here. All right. Thank you, John. Great. Thank you.
1: And I am currently issuing no further questions. I would now turn the call back over to Dr. Rice for closing remarks.
3: All right. Thank you. And let me just thank everyone for joining us this afternoon. Uh, We believe that both 239 and Lux are truly remarkable and distinct assets that will bring us significant value uh, to the company, to our shareholders, and we look forward to updating you more on our evolving pipeline next month during ASH and then also going into 2020. uh, We should have uh, a catalyst uh, set of catalysts going through 2020 and be sure and watch for that thank you so much
1: thank you ladies and gentlemen that concludes today's conference you may now disconnect and have a wonderful day
0: save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful angus 90 percent lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or 7up all with your card